Welcome into The Harvest, a podcast dedicated to helping ordinary believers take the message and mission of Jesus out of the building and into the everyday places of life. Today I'm joined by my friend Steve McGee, and we talk about temptation, sexuality, and freedom in Christ. I don't think it's an overstatement to say the church is in crisis when it comes to this topic. To take just one example, the destructive force of pornography is at epidemic levels in our society today. It is silently strangling many of us in our devotion as followers of Jesus. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. And women also are being affected. The fastest growing demographic for porn viewers is women below the age of 25. Of young Christian adults 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search for porn. And maybe the most mind-blowing stats of all. By age 11, the average child has already been exposed to explicit pornographic content through the internet. But because we don't talk about it, one of the results is that 96% of young adults are either encouraging, accepting, or neutral in their view toward pornography. And yet, despite these mind-blowing statistics, only 7% of pastors say their church has a program to help people struggling with pornography. It is indeed the silent killer. But today's show is about more than just pornography. What are the roots of a healthy sexuality? And what does it mean to experience freedom in Christ? I hope today's conversation with Steve changes your mind in many ways, but also that it brings change to how you're living. Give a listen and then let us know what you think. Visit our Facebook page and join the conversation in the comments under the post for this episode. Well, today I'm joined by my good friend, Steve McGee. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Andrew. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. I'm uh, humbled and honored to be here with you today. Well, I'm glad to have you on too. And I think uh, the topic that we're going to be discussing today is uh, probably one of the more important issues facing the church today, facing us as individual believers. But it's one that doesn't oftentimes get airtime. And so we're definitely going to try to give it some airtime today and uh, cover some ground that I think anyone out there listening needs to be aware of, either because this is an issue that they're facing in their own lives, or if they are making disciples and active in the church, then the people around us are are certainly struggling in these areas and, and um, trying to find their way. So we're going to dive into the topic of temptation, sexuality, and freedom in Christ um, today on the podcast. But before we dive into all of that, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, your background, your history, maybe how we know each other as a, as a way of introducing yourself? Yeah, of course, Andrew. Uh, so I grew up in a, a small town. I came from a broken, uh, non-Christian home. I was raised by my mother and my uh, stepfather. Around the age of 19, a friend invited me to church. And it was then that Jesus opened my heart uh, to his love for me. Uh, a year later, I would join the army uh, so that I could share that love uh, with soldiers on the front lines. Uh, I would end up going to airborne school and then uh, off to, to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Uh, and that's where we uh, met roughly 16 years ago. Uh, and this is where I'd start my journey of discipleship. 
Then about 11 years ago, uh, God really laid on my heart to make a big move uh, to get uh, out of active duty and move to Washington State to be a part of the Navigator Ministry at Fort Lewis. Uh, that's where I'm uh, still at with my wife and, and two kids now. Yeah, so we met each other, would have been in 03, and if people can remember back to what was going on in 03, you know, you coming to faith and then choosing to go into the Army, I mean, that was no small, that was no small decision at that, at that moment in our nation's history. Uh, it was in 03 that um, U.S. forces invaded Iraq. You were a part of that uh, mission at different times throughout your career, and so you know, I, I want folks to have a, a an idea of where you're coming from and how long you've been walking with Christ, because uh, I think that will will help in our conversation today. And then, like you said, um, I guess it would have been what '08 or '09 that you moved to Washington State. Uh, two thousand eight. Yep. Which was really we our family moved there in the summer of '07, so we had probably been there only about a year. So we knew each other in North Carolina for several years, and I remember meeting you as a young. You were probably maybe twenty years old at the time, is my guess. Twenty. Yep, I was twenty years old. Twenty years old, young, uh, E three, um, enlisted soldier in the army there, and a single guy, like you said, and then to to still be connected with each other in the faith and partnering together in ministry is is one of the great privileges i think of it's one of the things that people don't realize when you when you give your life to christ and you give your life to his mission of making disciples you end up with these these lifelong connections and friendships um, jesus said that no one gives up makes sacrifices to follow him and to be involved in his work who doesn't receive back a hundred times as much in this life and in the age to come eternal life. And I think some of that hundred times as much in this life for us has just been the friendships that, um, that we've gotten to enjoy over the years. You guys are definitely part of that. So I'm really excited to have you on the, uh, the podcast today, but why don't you also just tell us a little bit about how you see the challenge facing us today. We're going to be, like I said, talking about temptation, sexuality, and freedom in Christ. You and I had a conversation maybe three or four months ago now, just a phone conversation where we were talking about this and, you know, the things that God has, has been teaching you in this area, the insights that he's been giving you, hard-won insights, um, I think is, is something that our listeners need to hear. And so we, we talked back then about doing this, having you on the podcast and talking about this same conversation, but recording it so that hopefully it encourages other peoples. But but how would you set the stage for this topic of, of temptation and sexuality and freedom in Christ now that we're living here in 2019? Yeah, uh, that's a great question, Andrew, and uh, one I think is uh, super important. So I believe the harvest looks radically different than it did 30 or 40 years ago. We're living in a time today where most people have access to graphic high-speed pornography 24-7. It's in the palm of their hands. Our culture is so sexualized. We're confused about gender. And yet our churches, 
for the most part, uh, are silent on the issue. We've got young boys and girls sharing naked pictures of themselves on social media, you know, with their friends, trying to gain influence. Uh, men have been watching porn since they were young boys, right? This isn't, hey, I, I had to go to a, a store when I was 18 and purchase a magazine. No, they've seen pornography since they were little kids. And then women have been assaulted, insulted, and comparing their bodies with every uh, YouTube star or uh, Instagram star uh, since they were little. And uh, many men and women are so deeply ashamed of things that they have done or have had done to them uh, that they remain closed off uh, to relationships and closed off to Jesus. It's clearly that every individual in the harvest has been impacted by the sexual dysfunction of our culture. And if we want to share the love of Jesus, we're going to have, we're going to need to know how to disciple them into sexual integrity. Uh, or we're going to remain with people uh, keeping this a secret and keeping this uh, shame that really hinders their relationship with Jesus. Absolutely, man. I, uh, this is such a destructive force in our world and our, our culture today, but it's definitely beyond just our culture. Right? This is a worldwide issue that is facing humanity, but certainly the church um, we, we face this this issue of of temptation. Um, pornography has just exploded, especially since the um, the widespread usage of the internet. Um, and I've got some statistics here that I just wanted to share again, just to kind of help us set the stage. I looked these up. These uh, statistics are coming from the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. And let me just read a few of these off to you. These aren't going to be anything that's new to you, Steve, but they might set the tone for our listeners. So I'm going to read these in no particular order. 64% of young people between the ages of 13 and 24, 64% actively seek out pornography weekly or more often. Uh, porn sites on the internet receive more regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined each month. So more people are are visiting porn sites or porn sites are receiving more traffic than those three major internet giants, Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter um, each month. 35% of all internet downloads are porn related. So you know, one out of every third, one out of every three downloads from the internet is porn related. At least thirty percent of all data transferred across the internet is porn related. Uh, porn is global, and it's an estimate. It's an industry that is estimated at ninety-seven billion dollars um, worldwide, with about twelve billion of that coming from the U.S. So again, this is this is a worldwide issue. $97 billion industry, $12 billion of that coming from the U.S. And this is staggering to me. Uh, in 2018 alone, more than 5.5 billion hours of porn were consumed just on the world's largest porn site. That's not all porn sites, just, just on the largest porn site, 5.5 billion hours 
of porn were consumed. The world's largest free porn site also received 33.5 billion site visits during 2018 alone. And, you know, we're going to be talking about more than just pornography today, but I do want to start with pornography because I think that that has just, again, been unleashed uh, upon our society. And you're right. Um, when I was growing up, I'm 46 now, I can remember as a college-age student wanting to find pornography. I was out on my own. I wasn't following Jesus at the time. Um but I, I had a sense of right and wrong, and I knew that this was something I probably shouldn't be doing. But in those days, this would have been in the early, early 90s, you know, I had to drive down. I had to get in my car, drive down to a physical store. I had to get out of my car and walk into that store in public. I had to stand across the counter from a real person and pay money <laughs> to buy this magazine. So... You know, now, like you said, someone can pull out a phone and within seconds uh, discreetly access the same thing that, that I had to go through all of that just, just to get. And, um, you know, kids in second, third grade have smartphones. So it is, um, it's, a new, it's a new day in society and in our world. And there's an old problem, an age-old problem of, of lust and temptation. Um, but the, the obstacles to getting to that have, have just gone to zero at this point in society. And, and we've seen the, the implications. So um, it's a big issue that we need to be addressing. And you're right. The, 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 church, the church as a whole has done, I think, a, a poor job of just bringing this out into the open and, and discussing it. Why do you think that is, Steve? Why, why do you think there's this hesitation to, uh, to address this issue? Yeah. Uh, well, I think it, it really comes probably from two sources. Uh, the first being, uh, the shame, uh, we, so, uh, if your pastor, uh, does not have a good grasp of uh, sexual health themselves, uh, they are not going to be keen on sharing that from the pulpit. Uh, the second thing is, uh, mm. I believe we see it as if I talk about sex, then or pornography or whatever, uh, we are putting those ideas in the minds of young people. Uh, we're giving them like permission to do it just by simply talking about it, which uh, every uh, study really says that that's not true. The more the, that parents talk to their children about sex, really the less likely they are uh, to be involved in pornography or uh, promiscuous uh, activity in their youth. Hmm. Yeah, that's, I think that's, um, I've seen both of those. Um, and, and you're right. I, if, if the leaders in the church are struggling with this issue of purity, of pornography, sexual uh, deviance, um, it's, it's really unlikely that they're going to be addressing that, uh, with, with their churches. 
um, I don't have this stat in front of me, but I but I heard uh, recently that over fifty percent, over fifty percent of pastors struggle with pornography. And so I do think that you're right. That's probably one of the big reasons. And by struggle, I mean, are engaged in viewing pornography on a regular basis. So all of us, I think, um, I know I struggle with pornography in the sense that there's temptations that I face on a regular basis. There are things that I've viewed and put into my mind years ago that that come back. And so uh, we could probably say that everyone struggles with it. But this stat was specifically highlighting that um, over 50% of pastors are regularly engaging in viewing pornographic material on the internet. And then I also agree with you that there's a hesitancy to say, well, if we talk about this, then maybe someone who isn't struggling with it will become curious and, and they'll want to actually begin to explore and seek that out. If I could ask you a personal question, Steve, and I'll share this also. I guess we're going to get personal on this on this podcast. Can you remember the first time you were exposed to pornography? Yeah, man. So I was uh, I was probably nine, somewhere between nine and eleven, um, and it was a pornographic magazine, uh, um, and uh, I didn't know how to make sense of it. Uh, Sex was actually a, a pretty open conversation in my in my home, but it came from really a, a joyous and uh, funny, like it was joked about uh, attitude. Again, hmm. uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so I'm not given the the <laughs> right. necessarily well, uh, you know, that this is really something meant to be safe for marriage. Oh, and, uh, you know, that it's a representation of, of Christ's relationship with the church. Like those, those conversations never happened until, uh, I was already, uh, having sex, uh, and then come to faith. So, yeah, for me, I remember, I can, I can remember as a kid and I don't even, I don't even remember how old I was because I was below the age of five. But uh, me and my siblings were out playing in a field near the neighborhood where where we were living at the time, which was in Norfolk, Virginia. And I can remember we discovered this this little f- fort that probably some older kids had had built out in this field. And in that fort, you know, there were several uh, pages, magazine pages that had been ripped out. So just sort of like loosely loose leaf. Uh, pages out of a pornographic magazine. I can still remember the image that I saw (laughs) and you're right. Like I didn't know what was going on. So, um, we ended up taking the pages back to our house and I remember giving them to my mom and asking her like, what, what's going on in this picture? And of course she was flipping out. (laughs) Where did you guys find this? Um, but you know, that's that I, like I said, I was probably four, maybe five years old at that time. And then maybe a few years later, I spent the night with a friend and his stepdad had just a whole stack of, of pornographic magazines. And so, you know, the friend that I was spending the night with, he was like, Hey, look at this, you know, this, and it was, you know, we didn't, you know, there was, I was probably seven or eight at that time. So, um, at the time it was exciting. I didn't really think about any kind of moral implications to it. It was just something that was totally new. 
Um, another stat that came from this particular organization that I mentioned earlier, the, um, the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, they did a survey of college-age students and uh, 50% of them uh, first encountered pornography before the age of 13, which I'm actually surprised. Mm-hmm. That seems low to me. <laughs> most In my own life and in most of the people that I've known, uh, males at least, um, they came across pornography even younger than yeah. that. So, so this is something that um, I have to believe now it's even more common, like I said, with smartphones and and um, the easy access yeah. to it. Andrew, I think, uh, so you hit on, like the statistic throws it off because uh, for males, it it's definitely more common. Uh, and then women skew that number, but the largest growing uh, audience for pornography is uh, women the ages of 15 to 21. So uh, Mm. pornographers are targeting women because they've pretty much maxed out the way that they can uh, capitalize on (laughs) on young men, right? So let's target young young women. Yes. Right. Yeah, and I, I, it it really is. I had a um, a family member, one of the younger members of my family who, um, I had this, um, this girl's phone and she was showing me a picture and I swiped cause I thought there was another picture <laughs> that, um, and man, so, so, so someone had sent her an image, like you mentioned sexting earlier. So some, some boy had sent her an image that was still on her phone. And so, um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was definitely an awkward moment, but it was also like, well, hey, let's talk about this. What, what's, what is this, and why is this on your phone? And so she began to. So even if your child doesn't want it, you know, like like you said before, teenagers are doing this where they are uh, sexting images um, to one another, either of themselves or of other people. So I think part of what we need to do is just understand how widespread the issue is that we're up against in this area of temptation and then how everything sort of begins to cascade out of that. So let's talk a little bit more about your own story personally, Steve, in this area, and uh, maybe share with us some of what you've learned over the years down to yeah, today. Of course, Andrew, I, I want to backtrack just a little bit uh, to comment on that. Uh, right. So you find a, a picture on uh, this young lady's phone <laughs> and um, right. the, the implication for, for women. So I know uh, roughly speaking, probably half your audience is, is female uh, and uh, maybe right. they don't struggle with pornography. They don't feel like they have a struggle with pornography, uh, but uh, women today are going to have a struggle because they have been, uh, again, I would say assaulted uh, in a lot of ways by young boys who have been doing this to them. They believe this is the norm. Uh, and so they don't understand if, if their parents 
or someone in their church is not giving them uh, a healthy discipleship into sexual integrity, right? They don't understand that this is actually not normal uh, and it's abuse. And so it's impacting both uh, males mm -hmm. and females. Um, and uh, hopefully our, our female audience hasn't turned out all uh, turned off already, right? Like, uh, they're listening to this and see that, Hey, this is a struggle on both sides because, uh, that is going to impact that young lady in her marriage. If she doesn't deal with, Oh yeah. Well, what is actually supposed to happen? Right. Because then she could believe that to be normal. Right. Uh, if her husband's treating her that way, which is it's completely inappropriate. Right. So, um, yeah, so right. I, I'll, uh, go ahead and answer your question now. Um, like I said, uh, I, I think I first saw pornography. I was probably nine or somewhere between nine and 11. Um, my, I had a older brother and, uh, he had found it, uh, and my parents, uh, um, they punished him and his friend. And for some reason, I, I wasn't punished. I think uh, my parents thought I, I was too young to, to be involved or something. Um, but uh, mm -hmm. then uh, by the age of 13, we got the first computer in, the, in our house. And, um, you know, uh, my parents just didn't know what was out there, didn't know the dangers that were present. Uh, hmm. so, uh, there was no filtering, no parental controls, no accountability. I had really unaccompanied access to the World Wide web, uh, by the time I was 13. And, uh, so I would find time, uh, to really get on the internet and look for pornography uh, mainly out of curiosity, mainly out of, uh, well, what is this? Partly because I knew it was wrong and doing something you know is wrong provides a thrill, right? And so, um, again, I, I didn't have a moral implication for this in my life either. So uh, it was enjoyable and I just continued to do it. Um, the problem is, once I came to faith, so at 13, really start to uh, get involved with internet pornography. I come to faith at 19, and uh, I joined the army. And so, like you said, we met, I was probably roughly 20 years old. Um, I didn't have somebody walk me through, uh, what does that look like? Uh, in the past because our, our church hadn't caught up to technology. Uh, so I was still living a very, um, duplicit life. I love God with all my heart. I love Jesus with all, all my heart. Uh, but I had a, a sexual struggle, uh, that I was keeping a secret from, from everybody. And, and really that, uh, sadly, followed me into my marriage. Um, 
spent probably far too long uh, living this double life um, and not understanding. And so then uh, finally just I broke, right? I, I come to a breaking point and I, I said, there's a, there's a great paradox going on in my life. Galatians 5.1 tells us that for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not submit yourselves to the to a yoke of slavery. But I found myself submitting to this sexual struggle every time. And so I asked, I asked myself the question, well, what does freedom look hmm. like? And uh, I surveyed numerous men. People had followed Jesus anywhere from, from two to 42 years. And uh, sort of like you mentioned earlier, uh, the consensus I got back was this would be a constant struggle for men. And personally, I didn't feel like the statement constant struggle and freedom were congruent. Um, and, and I think hmm. part of that's a breakdown of how we communicate constant struggle. Um, but it just didn't seem like those two were congruent to right. me. So, uh, yeah, I, I've spent really the last three years on a journey, uh, to find, uh, sexual freedom. And, um, one of the things you taught me early on in, uh, doing Bible study was uh, you've got to ask great questions. And I, I've come to believe that I was asking the wrong question. Um, and I don't know that. Uh, so hmm. I don't know that is sexual freedom possible, the right question. I think a better question is what does sexual integrity look like? Uh, so if we can integrate ourselves, integrate mm. our sexuality and our sex life into our Christianity, I think that's where we'll find the most health. Yeah, that's a, uh, I, I like that a lot. So yeah, I was going to say when you were struggling with this, this question of, uh, what is freedom, particularly in this area, um, did you ever come up with your own definition? I know you said you, you talked to a number of older believers that you looked up to you and their definition. Um, or is that when you realized that, well, maybe that's not, well, I think that right was part of it actually, it. uh, is I was trying to define what is, what is freedom. Um, and, uh, I, I agree. There will always be a temptation, but just because there's a temptation doesn't mean there's freedom. Jesus was tempted in every way, and yet he did not sin. Clearly, he had freedom, uh, right? He operated his life in a way that he did not surrender to these things. So he had freedom from them, but he was tempted. Uh, so uh, the problem is temptation and struggle sound really similar. And w when a young man hears that, oh, yeah, every mm -hmm. man is going to struggle for the rest of his life, Really, that gives him permission uh, in his own life. I know it gave me permission to say, okay, yeah, man, I, I gave in to looking at pornography and, and masturbating again, but every guy struggles. And really, uh, it, 
it gave me that permission and uh, caused harm in my life uh, because my struggle looked very different than your struggle. And, but when all we do is define or all we do is say it will be a struggle, we don't define what that is, then uh, it leaves the individual up to interpret that, you know, and they're going to shape that in their own, uh, their own context of what the struggle actually looks like. So would you say this is a good starting point for ourselves and for those that we're trying to disciple and, and help that we need to start just by understanding what does success look like or what does faithfulness look like however you however you want to word it you know if if you and i are like you said if if we're living lives of sexual integrity what does that look like what does that mean would you say that's a a starting point for our beginning to work on this yeah uh man i uh i probably ran into that that terminology sexual integrity about a year ago and it just it it captured me in a positive way that said like yeah that's really what i'm after is sexual integrity uh and so the way i the the way i shape this question right so man there's there's men and women who listen to your podcast who are not looking at pornography they're not doing anything immoral outside of their uh their marriage bed or their uh single life um But, uh, so for the married individuals, right, the question I'd I'd ask is, well, is your life, uh, your sex life gracious? Is it compassionate? Is it humble, right? Like those things, we almost separate the way we treat sex and the way we uh, treat our spouse on a normal basis, right? So, um, yeah because sex tends to be a very selfish, uh, act. Uh, and, and so to me, I can now use sexual integrity. I could talk to a man who's, who's married, or I could talk to a lady who's married, or I could talk to a single person, uh, and ask them about their sexual integrity. And it's relevant to everybody. Uh, I think one of the harms, uh, the, the church did uh, was we we went to a purity only standard, and so mm-hmm. uh, the purity movement, uh, I believe, had great intention. Abstinence until marriage, right? But the problem is that doesn't really help. Uh, it doesn't help the individual after they're married. Right. So what does what does it mean to live a pure life after marriage? Because clearly I am having sex. Um, And so I I tend to shy away from from the idea of of purity. I tend to shy away from the idea of of freedom. And I focus on the, the like, what does sexual integrity look like? Because an integrated life is really what I'm after. That's uh, I like that a lot. And let's, let's, let's kind of dig into that a little bit more, but let me kind of start from the opposite side. So, and let's start with someone who's single. So for a single 
man or woman who's who's listening to this what would be yellow or red flags that that you might identify to, to make someone say i don't have sexual integrity in my life right now what are some things that come to mind yeah well i think this uh that's a great question man um i think one of the big things and this is applicable both single or married uh is is there somebody in your life that you're willing to be completely honest with uh, in this area, right? So will I share everything that I'm doing? Uh, because if you have a secret, the only reason we, we really keep that a secret is it's a shame factor. Uh, sure, there's privacy issues, right? But you want a trusted individual uh, a safe individual in your life that you can share these things with. Uh, the thing for a, a single person is what am I doing to develop uh, sexuality? So uh, I'm not an expert in this by no means um, because I know what I, what I did as a single individual and I failed in a lot of ways. Um, and then my kids are, are super young. And so I, ha I don't have to worry about that right now, but it's already something that's on my mind of how do I teach them, uh, that sexuality is a positive thing. And so, mm. uh, I think that's one thing is, is operating out of like, Hey, this is my sexuality, right? So when a, when a little girl wants to uh, put on a, a pink dress and, and, you know, be the princess. She's <clears> operating <throat> out of her sexuality. And that's okay to tell her that when a little boy wants to, to be, you know, a hero and play, you know, games, whether cops and robbers, whatever, right? Like he's operating out of his masculinity. That's operating out of his sexuality. Um, that those things are, are totally fine. The other thing for a single individual is how, how are you doing at regulating your emotions? Um, and so there's a lot of emotional maturity uh, that I believe affects our sexuality. Um, and so the more you become emotionally aware to say like, hey, it's not I'm feeling sexual. Sure, there are, there are those desires. But the majority of the time for a single individual, it's I'm not feeling loved. I want connection. And sex is the way that I go and seek that. that. And so if I, in turn, realize that, I become aware that that's really the desire that's going on is I desire connection. I desire love. Then I can seek those in healthy ways. Uh, I can seek those uh, emotional needs through relationships uh, with, you know, uh, peers in a healthy way that says, yeah, I am loved, or uh, hopefully your parents, you know, that um, can provide those needs in that way. 
Yeah, you're mentioning something that I discovered a little later in life as well. And the way I would try to describe it is we have this sex drive, men and women, that is God-given. You know, God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. I I just started um, my new Bible for this year, and I read Genesis 1 today. And this is a command from God to be to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. And if you can imagine a world, our world with only two people on it, a man and a woman. And God said, have so many kids that this world is filled (laughs) with people. Um, It's a pretty big mission, a mandate that God gave us to to the human race. And, And then he put within us the desire to act on that mandate. So he didn't just give us a command without the impulse. So, our sex drive is from God and it's part of what it means to be human. And so sometimes when we, when we act on that sex drive, um, it's going to show up in our sexual behavior, both whether you're single or married. Um, but the point that you're making is that sometimes we're engaging in sexual behavior, not because of our sex drive, but because there's something missing or something that we're seeking some emotion that, that isn't being met and we're, we're acting out sexual behaviors in order to try to, to fill or mask that, that void. Am I hearing you right? Is that what you're Yeah. Yeah. Suggesting? Andrew, thanks. Thanks for the clarifying that. So uh, I would say that that's spot on. And I would say really sex is the culmination of intimacy. uh, And oftentimes we use it as our way to seek intimacy. And so uh, we have not Hmm. sought the culmination of intimacy. We have not built intimacy with our spouse or with, um, I mean, hopefully with our spouse, (laughs) right? We've not. But maybe as a single person, what you want to build is you want to build healthy emotions and learning how to be a more healthy person, a a whole complete version of yourself as much as possible. Well, before you even go into marriage, I think it is uh, healthy intimacy, right? So uh, because it's in those moments of intimacy, it's in those moments of transparency uh, that we feel the most loved when you can uh, be vulnerable with another individual and say, "Hey, I'm feeling, I'm feeling weak, or I'm feeling inadequate, or I'm feeling, uh, I am feeling strong, and I want to offer that in a way." Right? Like uh, those are healthy emotions, and uh, as a single individual, you develop those. Uh, again, in a, in a healthy way with uh, your peers, your family, your church, uh, hmm. it will lead you to having a, a more healthy marriage uh, because you will be able to yeah and, and I would be even, able to do that in marriage. Yeah, I, I would even I, say, well, even with yourself and with God, especially for, for those who are listening to this podcast, you know we're talking to believers that to develop um, intimacy with God and just a knowledge of yourself, which 
you could say is intimacy, just knowing what is, is making you behave the way, what are the, the triggers, the cues that have led you to, to pursue pornography or to pursue um, a sexual encounter or masturbation. Uh, if you can try to trace back, why did I start down that road? It didn't just happen. And, and to know yourself so that you can begin to, like you said earlier, pursue healthy outlets for what it is that's going on inside of you rather than turning to sex, turning to pornography um, to try to, to cover those, those gaps. So even that, I think, is a, is a form of intimacy, healthy intimacy, is just knowing what's going on inside of you that's, that's driving those behaviors. Yeah, Andrew, that's that's spot on. So as we uh, as we know ourselves, uh, as we realize, like, hey, I'm not feeling adequate. Uh, so, for, right, you might uh, people might have already picked this up, right? The inadequacy for me will drive me to uh, sexuality. Uh, right, I, I turn to sex to cope from inadequacy. Uh, if I feel inadequate, I can then turn to God and, and go back to his truths. What does he say about me, right? Clearly, he's given me a calling in my life. Mm. He's given me a purpose in my life. He loves me so much he would send his own son to die for me. Obviously, I am adequate, right? So I turn back to the scriptures for the truth of really what God is saying because a lot of those feelings uh, of inadequacy are uh, ways that the devil speaks lies to us. So when I bring those back to God, right. I'm developing healthy intimacy, um, both with myself, with God. And again, I would say it's super important to have at least one trusted individual in your life um, that you can share those feelings with. Uh, and develop that intimacy. Right. And and we might call that, you know, transparency that there needs to be at least one person out there that you can be the real version of yourself and and be known by that other person. Um I I I want to make sure we get to some of what's been helping you over the past 3 years. So you've been on this journey especially over the last 3 years. What are some things that you've been learning that you think would be helpful to the people listening to this podcast today? Yeah, man. Uh, well, I think we just hit on, on a part of it, right? Is how did I develop that? Where did I learn that? Uh, of, hey, the more I recognize my own feelings and what triggers me, how do I operate out of those feelings? Um, the more I, I'm grounded and, and I can say, when I'm feeling inadequate, like, or I could say I'm having the desire to look at pornography, man, I should probably ask myself, where am I feeling inadequacy? Uh, right. So, but you've got to become emotionally aware mm. of yourself. Um, so emotional awareness mm. is a big thing. Uh, the way I say, say it is practice identifying your feelings, uh, I've used a tool uh, over the last uh, 
really two and a half, three years called the faster scale. It's by Michael Dye. Uh, but there's, there's plenty of ways in which we can learn to identify our own feelings. Uh, so there's, you could just uh, Google a feelings wheel and there's a easy way to, to think about uh, different feelings. It just names different feelings and there's a lot of uh, exterior feelings that we don't relate to the common sort of core feeling that's going on. Um, and so, oh man, I'm, I'm actually feeling scared when I'm feeling a sense of inadequacy, like, oh man, what am I frightened of? Right. Because that's a bigger issue. That's the, that's the heart of the matter is what am I afraid of? Right. Yeah, sure. I'm feeling inadequate, but what am I afraid of in that inadequacy? And as I address that fear, I could bring that to God and say, Hey, uh, he's going to get me through this. Right. Instead of turning to pornography to cover that feeling or turning to, to sex to cover that feeling. Mm. And, uh, so then one of the other ways, um, is I would say really, we've got to, we've got to pray. Right. And, uh, the passage that I, mm. I love for this is Psalms 139, 23 and 24. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. And sometimes I use that as a prayer to God. Lord, uh, you know my heart. Show me. Show me what's going on. Show me my anxious thoughts because I don't know them, but clearly I am feeling anxious. I don't know what it is that's going on. And so I, I, uh, I, I really pray that often God help me to see my emotion in this uh, instead of just operating out of reaction and then the other thing is how do I get those feelings validated and so like I said we turn to the scriptures or we turn to that one trusted individual and and just share that in the transparency uh, to, to let them just say yeah and I I'm sorry you feel that way or, or if it's joyous, you know, let them celebrate with you, right? Like um, if we get our feelings validated from one another in a positive way, uh, we're again, less likely to operate out of unhealth uh, and seek unhealthy behaviors. So if I could maybe to try to re recap, I, I heard you really say two main things. One is we need to become more self-aware in terms of, especially with our emotions, because those are often the source of what's cueing us. There's an internal cue that precedes our, our misbehavior, so to speak. Um, whether that's acted out by, searching for and viewing pornography, whether that's masturbation, whether that's um, jumping on Tinder and, and meeting up with, with someone, all of which, by the way, I, I've experienced in, in real-time disciple-making. So I've, um, it, I, I hope that people understand that there are, there are, there are sincere believers who are struggling 
at this level. So even if, even if you think, well, I would never, I would never go on Tinder and, and, uh, seek out a one night stand. Yeah. But the people you're discipling might be. And, and if you don't really cover this issue, then you really don't know where they're at. So the first step that I heard you mention was become a student of yourself and especially your emotions. What are the cues, the emotional cues, whether that's inadequacy, a, a great acronym I heard years back that's helped me out is this acronym STAB, S-T-A-B. And Steve, I know you're familiar with this, but just for our listeners, um, it's, it's the STAB acronym helps you identify times when you are particularly susceptible to temptation. And the first is during a time of stress. And that's probably the number one thing that I've experienced at the times that I have um, sought out pornography, I can almost always trace it back to I'm feeling a lot of stress. Life is really coming at me and pornography offers an escape from the stressful reality of my life. Um, well, I didn't know that for years that <laughs> I just thought, man, why can't I, why, why do I stumble in this area? Um, I was so focused on the activity that I regretted and was shamed about that. I didn't go a step before that to, well, what was it that I was feeling that, that caused me to want to seek that out? So the S is stress. The T is tired. Um, the A is alone and the B is bored. And I think I've experienced all of those. So when you are experiencing one of those four states, um, you are particularly vulnerable to acting out of integrity in the area of sexuality. And maybe for, for you, one of those is more prevalent than the other. So just becoming a student of yourself and knowing what are the triggers, what are the cues that, that often precede me acting out of integrity, outside of integrity. And then the, the second thing that you mentioned is beginning to develop healthy ways. So once you can identify the cue, the trigger, well, what's, what's the healthy way to address that? You don't just ignore it. You don't just um, exert willpower, <laughs> you know, that, that cue is there for a reason and it needs to be acknowledged and addressed. Um, those are two things that I know for sure that you mentioned were there were there other uh, things that were in there, Steve, that I might have missed? No, I, I mean I think uh, I think that summarizes it. Uh, so there is um, two other things I w I will say, and they're uh, they're very similar. Um, but uh, the first thing I would say is confession. So if if you have already uh, done something that is uh, outside of sexual integrity, right? If you've done something or, or are doing something uh, that you're, um, you know, that sin is confession. But the problem with confession is uh, that I would say, particularly in this area, is we want to confess just to God. And I don't believe that, that that's that's really the case. It's not going to help you mm. in the same way that if you bring your confession before others. Uh, the Bible says, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. If you want healing in this area, right? If you want to be free from this, 
I think you've got to confess to somebody else. Uh, but you also have to, you also have to confess to yourself. Yeah, I agree. So with a that. lot of times we live in de denial. Uh, and one of the things I, I, I hear people say is, well, I don't, I don't have a problem. And when we have a deeper conversation, uh, I say, I, I usually ask the question, have you ever tried to stop and then done it again? And often I will have people say yes. It's like, to me, if you, if you cannot stop a behavior, you have a problem, right? So I don't want to look at pornography. I find myself, right. sure, it right. might only be every three months or so that I find myself doing it, but I don't feel like that's a problem. No, that's a problem because you've clearly tried to stop and it's not working. So you've got to break that denial in yourself and confess that you, you do have a problem, right? And then confess that to somebody else, right? Let, let other people know everything. Um, again, this is a safe person uh, that you know is going to keep your confidentiality. Um, and so with that, you know, I said this is two separate things, but they're similar, is getting radically honest. And so uh, I've got to live a life of integrity. Because if I cannot live a life of integrity, I will never have sexual integrity. And so uh, one of the questions uh, that I ask myself each week mm -hmm. is, have I lied to anyone this week, whether directly or indirectly? Uh, because we find ourselves lying in indirect ways all the time. And it's really easy to do, especially with, I've got young kids, uh, to, to indirectly lie to them. Um, but I want to live a, a life of integrity. I want to be honest with my children. I want to be honest with myself. And so the more I ask myself that question, am I living a life of radical honesty, right? And the way I judge that is, have I lied to anyone this week, directly or indirectly? Uh, the, the more I'll be able to live a life of sexual integrity, because if I don't have integrity in the other areas of my life, I'm never going to have sexual integrity. Yeah, that's that's really good, Steve. Well, bro, I would love <laughs> this. This topic deserves more time and attention, so we'll probably need to revisit it um, in the future. But um, I really appreciate the ground that we've covered today, and part of what part of what I'm taking away from our conversation. And then I'll, I'll give you the, the closing thoughts here, just in case there's anything that you didn't get a chance to cover that you think we need to. But part of what I'm taking away from this conversation is, first, we cannot ignore the, the issue of sexuality and addressing that in our own lives and in the lives of our children, our fellow members of our church, those we're discipling. Um, this, this issue is bombarding us, our society, our culture, and it's not something that we can ignore without facing severe consequences to that. So that's, that's one thing is that this is a huge issue facing the church today. And then the second thing is reframing how we think about this this topic of what it looks like to be faithful from just 
one of self-control and purity, which I think is maybe a common way of thinking about it, to one of what does it mean to be healthy and to live with integrity and, and sexual integrity being part of that. But that's really the goal. The goal is not to, to just be self-controlled and to not act out um, sexual deviance, whether that's in my thought life or in my actions. That's not the goal. The goal is to be a healthy, mature person in Christ and to be a person of integrity, uh, including sexual integrity. That's really what I need to be aiming for. But uh, what about you? What, uh, what would you want to leave folks with as we wrap up our conversation today? Yeah, so I'll turn to a, uh, a common passage, Second uh, Samuel uh, chapter 11. Uh, starting in verse 1, it says, In the spring of that year, uh, the time when kings go off to battle, David went to Joab and his servants, or David sent Joab and his servants uh, with him and all of Israel, and they ravaged the Amorites, besieged Rahab. Uh, but David remained in Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And uh, so everybody knows the, the rest of that story, right? David ends up killing uh, uh, Joab, uh, having an affair with Bathsheba, killing Joab to try and cover the tracks. And... Uh, uh, eventually gets called out by uh, the prophet Nathan. Um, the thing about that is uh, self-control would not have changed David's heart. Purity would not have changed David's heart. He still would have had this desire to do something incredibly heinous. Uh, and so really, if you want to change your heart, You've got to go for uh, developing emotional maturity. And uh, the first step to that is, is, is being honest with yourself, confessing that, again, before a brother or sister in Christ who's going to hold that in confidentiality, getting radically honest, and uh, then just becoming aware of your feelings. Uh, that's how we... That's how we really change our heart. And so um, mm. the first thing I would say, if we want to disciple sexual integrity, if we want to disciple individuals into sexual integrity, it starts with yourself. Uh, so the more you're aware, the more you're willing to have this conversation uh, with yourself, uh, the easier it is to have this conversation with others and um, you know, the, like we said, part of the problem is many people just have so much shame of their own, they're not willing to bring it up. So once you, uh, once you sort of lay it all out there, uh, to somebody else and say, Hey, this is what I've done. Um, or this is what I am doing. And their response is actually love. Uh, you know, that, that, that rocked my world. Uh, when my wife could turn to me and say, hey, I still love you. I want to work through this. 
uh, when my friends could could say, I still love you, I want to support you, uh, it really rocked my world. I, I got to see God's, God's grace in action. Um, and so uh, we've got to be honest. We've got to, uh, with ourselves, we've got to confess, you know, again to a brother or sister in Christ and start to develop emotional maturity. Yeah, it's, that's really good stuff, Steve. Thanks again for, for sharing with us. I'm going to put some links in the uh, show notes here to some of the resources that you mentioned, in particular the, uh, the faster scale. Um, I think that could be a, a good practical tool and also um, maybe a book or two that I think would be helpful so folks can um, look at the show notes of this episode if they want to, to do some further some further research so that they can grow in this area. But Steve, I really appreciate you, brother. I'm encouraged by what God has been teaching you and uh, want to say thanks for sharing it with us today. Of course, Andrew. Again, pleasure to be on. Thanks for being part of our community. If you find this podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you happen to listen to it. You can share it on social media with your friends. Or you can support it directly by visiting our website, intotheharvest.org, clicking on the donate link, and becoming a monthly giving partner. When you do this, you'll receive a thank you package with some great ITH gear. Thank you for supporting the show and helping our small team make a big difference for Jesus. It's listeners like you that make this ministry possible.